On election day, voters in Florida approved an amendment that restores voting rights to more than one million convicted felons. It's big news, even here in Alabama, where tens or even hundreds of thousands of felons quietly regained the right to vote last year. The only problem? A lot of them don't know it. This is Reckon Radio, and I'm Amy Yerkinen. Today we're doing a special episode in honor of the midterm elections. Hi, Brittany. Hi, I'm Amy Yerkinen. Nice to meet you. Um, So yeah, actually, do you mind introducing yourself real quick? I'm Brittany Hill. I met Brittany Hill and her mentor on election day. Ray Lewis. All right. Um, and tell me why you're why you stopped here today at this event. Actually, I was invited to come by um, John Paul, but it's just you know something I believe in. That's all I mean to put it simply. That noise you hear comes from a cookout organized by the Alabama Voting Rights Project in Birmingham's Ensley neighborhood. There were hot dogs, chips, and sodas. Most of those who stopped by had just cast a ballot inside the public library next door. But not Brittany or Ray. Neither one had registered to vote, and now they needed information on how to restore their voting rights. Brittany just finished probation. So Blair Bowie of the Campaign Legal Center explained that she would be eligible to vote. In prison, she had a lot of time to think. Sometimes her thoughts turned to voting, a right she took for granted before her sentence for second-degree robbery. I always thought about it, but before I went to prison, voting wasn't that important to me. So I started reading, I sat down and had a lot of time to think, and it is important. My mama used to always tell me, go ahead and vote, go ahead and vote. You can't say nothing about what goes on if you don't vote. Mm-hmm. So it's like a situation now where I feel like I, my voice needs to be heard. The cookout targeted people like Brittany and Ray. Many of them don't know about the law that reversed more than 100 years of voting policy in the state. Unlike Florida, in Alabama, the legislature passed the bill, which had been proposed by Alabama Secretary of State John Merrill in 2017. For 116 years, the laws about felon voting contain language that banned it forever for those convicted of crimes of moral turpitude. There was only one problem. No one knew what that meant. Lawmakers coined the phrase during a constitutional convention organized with the explicit purpose of ratifying white supremacy. Here's Connor Sheets, a reporter for Reckon by AL.com who covers criminal justice and voting rights. White Southern lawmakers said, how how can we figure out ways to make sure that white supremacy stays in place? They didn't say it, probably didn't say it in those words words that they may have. Basically, one way they did it was they made these felon disenfranchisement laws that made it so you lost your right to vote if you had committed certain felonies which were perceived as being more likely to be committed by by black people. Now, if you, fo- if you for- fast forward to... That document, Alabama's 1901 Constitution, contained several clauses that affected voting rights for African Americans, creating literacy tests for all not descended from veterans and poll taxes that also disenfranchised many poor whites. The phrase moral turpitude also targeted black voters. In the 1950s and 60s, African Americans across the country began fighting for civil rights, and voting became a key part of the struggle. Alabama was ground zero. The movement culminated with a historic march from Selma to Montgomery. Voting rights, though, were one of the key focuses because, you know, it's a fundamental right as a citizen, and without being able to vote in people that represent your community, that 
look like you, then you really have very little ability to impact uh, elections, to impact policy, to get your voice represented. So during the civil rights era, some of the biggest moments of the civil rights era were directly related to voting. So for instance, Selma to Montgomery March, state troopers were brought in and they decided to do it anyways. And this is the day where they were beaten on live TV and attacked by state troopers and law enforcement officials and bloodied, it ended up being called Bloody Sunday. The following day, Martin Luther King came and they did it again. You know, because of the attention on it, the negative attention and everything, they were able to make the march to, to Montgomery. And that was all in support of voting rights. So they were trying to say, to get a federal law passed to address voting rights. And that ended up happening. The movement overturned poll taxes and literacy tests, but moral turpitude remained on the books. That left felons in an unusual situation. Local registrars made up their own definitions of moral turpitude. In many places, it became a near-total ban on voting for all felons who couldn't obtain a state pardon. The Constitution of the state of Alabama included language that said, if you commit a crime of moral, ter of moral turpitude, that's the key language of moral turpitude, then you lose the right to vote. If you were convicted of a felony, whether or not you lost your right to vote was up to registrars to decide. Say you were convicted of uh, felony drug trafficking. That might be considered a crime of moral turpitude in Barber County, but not be considered one of those crimes in Montgomery County. And so where you lived and which registrars were actually in charge when you went to go get your vote back could actually define whether or not you were able to vote. So that was a completely slapdash system where a lot of the registrars were actually complaining to lawmakers and to the Secretary of State and saying, you know, this is just not a, a good situation. We don't need to be the ones that are the arbiters of who can vote. This went on for a long time, but about 10 years ago, civil rights groups began challenging voting bans for Alabama felons. One of those organizations was the Campaign Legal Center. Here's Blair Bowie, a Scadden Fellow at the center. For over 100 years in Alabama, there was no list of convictions that would disqualify someone from voting. So it was up to individual county registrars to decide if a person's conviction took away their voting rights or not. That changed last year with the passage of the Definition of Moral Turpitude Act. Um, and that act defined the crimes of conviction that take away voting rights as a set of about 40 convictions. So it's no longer the case that any felony conviction could take away someone's voting rights. but. It's important that people know that because a lot of those people who were reenfranchised by the act have already been told by their registrars, by their parole officers, by the state that they can't vote. And the state has actually done nothing to correct that misinformation. So our organization has been representing people who have been challenging the felony disenfranchisement law at large. And this law change happened during the course of that lawsuit. So we filed a motion to compel the state to spend money and resources to let people know that they're eligible to vote now and put them back on the rolls. And the state refused to do that. So that was sort of the impetus behind why we realized that this was an organizing opportunity and that we could get out there and tell people about this and help them exercise their rights. In 2017, the legislature, led by Republicans, passed a law that defined moral turpitude. So this law defined moral turpitude for the first time as it pertains to the Constitution. And it said, crimes of moral turpitude, there's three categories. There's, it's between eight and 12 crimes that are considered 
if you commit these crimes, you lose your right to vote. You cannot get it back unless you get a full pardon by the governor. And so those include things like terrorism, I think murder, you know, very major crimes. Then there's another category of about 40 or so crimes that are considered crimes of moral turpitude. And those, you lose your right to vote, but once you've done your time, as you get out, you can then go to a, the board of registrars and say, I'd like to restore my voting rights. And they're obligated under this law to allow you to do that, uh, as long as you fill out the proper paperwork and whatnot. Murder, rape, crimes against children, and human trafficking. Felons convicted of those crimes and other serious violent and sexual offenses can't register to vote without a pardon. The 2017 Definition of Moral Turpitude Act could affect almost 300,000 people in Alabama. Although that's a guess, since the state doesn't keep many statistics. Lawsuits by the Campaign Legal Center and Southern Poverty Law Center have tried to force state officials to publicize the law, but so far it hasn't happened. Instead, those groups have held trainings and gone into communities to spread the word. We can tell you how many people we've helped, um, which is about 1,500 since we launched this project last year. But more importantly, we've, we've been working on training community leaders and activists so that they understand the law and can help other people navigate it. So we've trained about over 1,200 people at this point. And so if, if those people on average help just another three, that really amplifies the impact. The Southern Poverty Law Center's John Paul Taylor has been on the ground in Alabama, working with felons to restore their rights. Because that's a big misconception is that people don't want to vote. They do. But then the Alabama Voting Rights Project gives them the ability to actually know that they have access to be able to, to vote. Here's Ray Lewis. We heard from him at the top of the show. He grew up in Birmingham and was recently released from federal prison, where he served time on charges that included attempted murder. Now he's trying to turn his life around and change the nation's politics while he does it. I've been to the state penitentiary. I mean, I've done a lot of time and gone. I've been doing time since I was like 11 years old, but I've been to the state all two years. I just did 10 in the feds, and now I'm back. Did you have any idea or any thoughts about your right to vote when you came out? Did you assume? I did. Were... A lot of a lot of a lot of guys have conversations regarding that particular fact while incarcerated because it's important for us to be able to do these things. Our vote they count in a major way, yeah. and that major way has a lot, in my personal opinion, to do with real democracy and having people in positions of power that supports the people, that is for the people, and the people having that power to put them in that position and them to be elected for real instead of selected. For Brittany and Ray, restoring the right to vote seems like it should be pretty easy. Both serve their time, only it's not that straightforward. Some felonies still carry a permanent ban from voting but offenses on the other end of the spectrum don't end voting rights at all, meaning that some inmates could even vote while serving time for criminal offenses. A handful of volunteers have even gone into jails and prisons to find and register inmates eligible to vote. Felons between those polls have to jump through some extra hoops. Blair laid out actual hoops at the cookout to demonstrate the hurdles felons need to jump through. The games looked like fun, but each had a serious, page-long description illustrating how difficult it can be to register to vote. Here's Brittany. 
Um, I just feel like um, people that has did their time and tried to come out and change their life should have a say-so about their life because this is my life about voting. If I don't have no say-so, then what am I supposed to do? Just stick at square one? That's just how I feel. Brittany has completed her probation, but there's one major obstacle to voting. She hasn't paid her fines and fees. So she must fill out and sign a form requesting a waiver from the local registrar. The registrar has the discretion to approve or deny it. It's not a long form, but not everyone knows they can make the request. John Paul and Blair walk her through the process. If it, there's there's seven, uh, several different paths in, in going through that. So if a person has a uh, non-disqualifying conviction, of course, they can directly register to vote right then on the spot. Uh, but if they do have a disqualifying conviction, you can still register to vote. But right there's an uh, extra step you have to take, which is created the certificate of eligibility to register to vote. We call it the serve form for short, right? Once a person's completed their sentence, paid their fines and fees, they are eligible to receive that certificate. That is something that the state has to issue that certificate, but the individual has to apply for. There's only a handful of staff members dedicated to restoring felon voting rights. And even though they've trained hundreds of volunteers, it can still be difficult to identify and gain the trust of Alabama felons. John Paul spends a lot of time at the bus terminal in Birmingham, but he said it can take several conversations to get a person to open up about their criminal history. Brittany and Ray first heard about felon reenfranchisement from John Paul, not from anyone in the court or probation system. Here's reporter Connor Sheets. There's basically a, a pretty widespread movement to try to reenfranchise felons who lost the right to vote. The Secretary of State's office has stated publicly that it's not part of its purview to have to inform anyone that they have regained the right to regain their right to vote. So if you don't read the news and you haven't kept track of this extremely mundane political issue, then you might not know that you, there was a law passed saying that you can get your right to vote back if you committed a felony 30 years ago or, or one year ago, as long as you've done your time. So. Um, you know, now that that's happened, there's a uh, widespread push by groups like Southern Poverty Law Center and Campaign Legal Center. Are um, they're doing a voting rights project where they're educating felons about their rights, you know, disenfranchised felons and how they can get their vote back. Um, even advocating on behalf of people who've committed some of these crimes that are supposed that you have to get a pardon in order to get your right to vote back. How to advocate for on their own behalf, and uh, and even there's even people going into jails and prisons across the state and registering people to vote, who might be in prison for crimes that aren't crimes of moral turpitude, but don't you know have lost their right to vote previously for other crimes. So, but you know compared to the scope of the problem, there's almost 300,000 disenfranchised felons in Alabama. It's hard to tell at this point. There's not any hard data on how many people have been reenfranchised because of this law. How many? or how many people are declining to do so. John Paul said felons need the ability to participate and vote to fully rejoin society. Without the vote, they may not feel they have a stake in the community where they live. Often I hear, you know, when people go through the pre-release, when they're getting ready to be released, they talk about, you know, becoming productive citizens again, right? That's part of the language. 
But then when you get out and you can't vote, it's hard to feel that way because you're not part of, actually part of the American process. And so re-enfranchise a person that been re-enfranchised and now has the ability to vote, it does. It, it's a boost in self-esteem, right? Um, you actually feel like I have a voice again, right? To actually be able to express and good or bad, Right, you but you actually have it, uh, a voice in the process again, and I think that is huge for, for all of us. Let like I say because we we all the time. I do, you know. People ask me all the time in this work. Well, you know, does people really people don't really care about it? And I go, man, you're so wrong because the, the, it, it's a weight, you know, on people. And when you can do that, when you can actually uh, vote again, it does. It does something for for a person's self-esteem. Like you literally watch them go, wow. That's part of the motivation driving Brittany and Ray. They arrived at the cookout at John Paul's invitation. Ray's case also proved to be complicated. He's been convicted of several crimes, but none of his Alabama convictions bar him from voting. However, he also has federal convictions. So Blair has to look them up and find an equivalent state offense to determine whether it's disqualifying. So even in trying to clarify a complicated law, Alabama remains pretty murky. So right now um, I'm looking up Mr. Lewis's federal case. So he had a state case that's not gonna end up being disqualifying, but also a federal conviction. And um, in order to tell whether the federal conviction was disqualifying or not, I have to compare it with Alabama law and see if it's the equivalent of one of the disqualifying convictions. One of them I can tell right now is not. That one's not disqualifying, but I'm gonna have to probably do a little bit more research and figure out if the, if the other two are disqualifying or not. So I'm not gonna be able to tell you right away because I gotta like dig in a little, um, but <laughs> But we'll, I'll be able to figure it out within a few days. Yeah. Yeah. And how long does this process typically take once you send in this uh, form? So if, um, if I've determined that none of these are disqualifying, he can register to vote right away. Otherwise, um, what, you'll, what he'll have to do is apply for a certificate of eligibility to register to vote. And that, the state has to respond to it within 44 days. And if you qualify, they have to issue it to you. So there's a path for you. So you think you'll be voting in the next uh, presidential election? Hopefully, yeah, <laughs> hopefully. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to Reckon Radio to receive automatic updates about episodes and series. This episode was produced and edited by Amy Yorkinen and is a production of Reckon by AL.com. Thanks to everyone from the Campaign Legal Center for their assistance on this episode.